like and asking for it. That is, of course, unless men chose to declare their behavior as sensuous, exciting, playful, and responsive, which made the prostitute good. A woman's social status was also determined by the status of her husband and father. It was a shame to be born to a father who was poor or low class, and this could only be remedied by a woman snagging a man who could elevate her social status. Marrying the local doctor or lawyer was the dream or the expected goal of every young maiden, and upon closing the deal, getting married, she was automatically lifted to a higher social plane. Conversely, women who married below their station were considered foolish and forever banished to a lower social status. Those who remained unmarried were sadly and disparagingly referred to as old maids or spinsters. This scenario was not satisfactory for many women, and Abigail Adams' warning to her husband seemed to come to fruition. She wrote, If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. Her warning proved prophetic, as women learned to read, demanded the right to vote, and insisted that we too are equal. But equal to what and whom? Equal to men? Does that mean we are like them? Over the last two centuries, through legal changes, power shifts, and the invention of television, two popular options for women have emerged. Either stick with the program and define ourselves by our relationships with men, or redefine ourselves by becoming like men. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis put it succinctly, There are two kinds of women, those who want power in the world and those who want power in bed. What's a woman to choose? To be dependent, passive, nurturing types, uninterested in competition, achievement, or success, who should conform to the wishes of men in their lives, or to define ourselves primarily by our careers and insist on financial independence? Many women have recognized that either option represents a dead end for women. For in both cases, women are still defined by a standard derived from men. When we look to men as reference points, however, we lose sight of who we are as women. It's like trying to define an apple by comparing it to an orange. The apple, described in terms of the orange, will never have its own identity, appeal, and value. It will simply be not an orange. Similarly, defining women in the context of men means that we are defined as not men, and unfortunately, frequently viewed as inferior. We as women regain our worth by defining or naming ourselves as women instead of not men. We believe we redefine our womanhood within the context of our relationships with women, with our girlfriends. And how do we do that? By telling our stories as women, from the perspective of women. The act of putting our experiences into words and presenting full, true descriptions of our worlds helps to make us three-dimensional beings. We describe ourselves as apples instead of not oranges. Being a woman means finding our source of power and identity not in the bedroom or the boardroom, but in living each day out of the richness of our feminine creativity and passion. We express ourselves as women by drawing from our femininity, not from our non-maleness. As we stumble, bumble, and define ourselves into the next century, we women need each other more than ever before. To share our experiences, to struggle for understanding, to create new meaning, to enjoy each other, and to figure out what in the world we are doing with ourselves. Because our female friends share with us the experience of being women, our feminine paths and identities are clarified for us. Author Sue Monk Kidd expressed it this way, I can't tell you who I am without telling you who my girlfriend is. 
our relationships with other women are part of the ground of our being. So I can't say who I am without talking about my female friend and who she is in my life. We discover ourselves through our girlfriends. It's a mutual process of self-discovery that goes on when we enter into this kind of female relationship. It's really a process, not just discovering the other person, but of discovering yourself. But really now, what is so special about female friends? Why distinguish female from male friends? Can't men give what women can give in a relationship? Not according to many women we interviewed for this book. These women said that their bonds with men were quite strong, but nevertheless different from their relationships with women. Some women find their women friends more intuitive than their male friends. Carrie, an attorney in her mid-thirties, told us, My husband is my best friend. I have a great relationship with him, and I don't know what I would do without him. Nonetheless, he does not replace my girlfriends. I need them just as much as I always did. It is hard to explain how my relationship with my husband differs from my girlfriend's. Um, he lacks a certain intuitive sense that most of my female friends have, but he knows me very well and can provide insights no one else does. Other women find that conversations with male friends tend to focus more on ideas or problem-solving, with less focus on the sharing of feelings. Julie, managing director of an opera company in her mid-thirties, put it succinctly. Men just aren't like women. They see things and solve problems in different ways. They don't like to talk about their feelings, and women thrive on it. But what is so special about women talking with women? Wouldn't a sensitive man do just as well? Many women say that their women friends respond to their problems differently than do most of the men in their lives. While men tend toward a fix-it approach, women often simply provide a listening, sympathetic ear. Another distinction pointed out by the women we interviewed was to simply state the obvious. Men are not women, and so relating to men is, by definition, a different experience. Whether the cause is genetic or environmental, men and women experience life differently. One group has experienced centuries of overt power, while the other is just trying to get the hang of it. One group frets about the size of their penises, and the other about the size of their breasts. One group is rewarded for sexual conquest, while the other worries about pregnancy. One group shaves their faces, and the other shaves their legs. No matter how sensitive a man may be, he is not a woman, and by definition, he lives life from a different perspective than that of a woman. Aside from the contrast in male and female experiences, another difference between women's friendships with men and their friendships with women, raised by the women we interviewed, relates to the sex deal. Lesbians, of course, may have to resolve sexual tensions with female friends as well as men who may be attracted to them. Most women we interviewed echoed Janet's statement, Male friendships are usually based on sexual interest by at least one party. While some women observed that their relationships with men were the same as with women, others agreed with Harry in the movie When Harry Met Sally that friendship between men and women is impossible because of the sexual attraction. Harry insisted that sex was the only genuine reason any man was in a so-called friendship, and once that desire was fulfilled or all hope was lost for consummation, the relationship was thereby redefined. Whatever you believe, the way attraction is resolved is fundamental to the survival of the friendship. 
When the attraction is acted upon, a romance may result. If sexual interest is not reciprocated, sometimes the relationship ends. In some cases, the sexual tension is contained or wanes over time, and friendship can result. So for many women, relationships with male friends just seem different than their friendships with other women. We believe, however, that our female friendships deserve some appreciation and examination, whatever our experiences with male friends. We want to celebrate these very important relationships, which don't seem to get much attention elsewhere. Typically, other relationships in our lives receive most of our attention, such as lovers, spouses, children, and family members. It's easy for us to draw strength from our women friends to deal with these other relationships without taking the time to notice or appreciate what we've received. We can never repay the immeasurable debt we owe to them, but we can pause for a moment and reflect on their importance to us. Here we've gathered stories to examine these friendships and honor these women. One of the most powerful ways women help define each other in our experiences as women is through the simple joy of sharing our stories with each other. By telling our stories, we learn about relationships. These stories tell us how to treat each other, what is acceptable, what is honorable, and what is not. Telling our stories to other women creates an experience and understanding of feminine journeys that talking with men cannot achieve. One of the reasons telling our stories to women is so satisfying is that in general, women listen and support each other emotionally and spiritually. We give to each other something required for us to keep our bearings, connection to the unique challenges of womanhood. With our girlfriends, we peel back many layers of our personalities.